It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Doing Good. I am your host, Carmen Herbert, and today on the podcast, I am so excited to meet virtually for the first time and introduce Tammy Hill. Tammy, thank you so much for coming on the Doing Good podcast today. You bet. This is going to be so fun and so interesting. I always feel like I choose guests for my personal (laughs) self-interest. Like I say, oh, people really want to know about this, but really it's just questions that I have. And (laughs) so I'm so excited that I get to ask you so many important questions about marriage and family and, and healthy sexuality. This is going to be a great discussion today. So Tammy Hill is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a practice in Provo, Utah. And she served on the Utah State Marriage and Family Therapy Licensing Board. She is an adjunct professor of family life at BYU and teaches classes in marriage preparation and marriage enhancement to a thousand students each semester. That's a lot. And did I say adjunct, right? Adjunct? Adjunct. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, please tell me what that is because I don't know what that is. That means that I'm not a full professor. I don't, I'm not doing research. I'm just coming on campus and teaching. And you get to do like this very specific thing. Yes. A couple times. Awesome. Say, well, no, I have classes every semester and we, you know, but it's not, I'm not a full-time faculty member where I'm having to also include research and all of that. Okay. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you told me what that was. I learned something new. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me you have helped develop and teach the first BYU course dealing with healthy sexuality and marriage. That is awesome. So before, was there was there no classes or, or anything yeah. like this offered at BYU? What I understand is that in the nursing program, they had a unit called social hygiene. Okay. Is what they include some sexual, some sexual content in that. Other than that, there were, were not sexually um, explicit courses at all. Yeah. I took marriage and family. um, And that was um, what was, look, I totally forgot his name. I don't know what his name was. You would know who it was. He taught there for years and years and years. And um, he taught a little bit about more like relationships and he talked a tiny bit about, you know, getting married and, and the ins and outs of sexuality, but not, not detail oriented. So what, well, okay, we'll get into that. Let me finish the bio. And then I have so many questions already. So Tammy provides many free resources at www.tammyhill.com or on Instagram, Tammy underscore Hill underscore LMFT. And her, your first book, God Made Girls and Boys will be available this spring. Tammy and her husband, Jeff, have been married 14 years, and they met after you both lost your first spouse and together have 12 children Mm -hmm. and 34 grandchildren, which is amazing. So I have so many questions, but let me go back to the first one, which was what made you decide, oh, there needs to be a class? And and specifically, was it BYU that you wanted to target in particular to have a class like this? And, And what got you interested in providing this resource for the students there? So I was invited by the dean of the School of Family Life to help him co-create the curriculum and to teach it. And so the first two years that it was taught is a provisionary course. 
And so we have people coming in from the university sitting in on lectures to make sure everything that's being said is appropriate. Awesome. It was it was really fun and quite stressful. <laughs> stressful. I'm sure. <laughs> Walking a, a fine line lots of times. I'm but, sure. But I just um, believe, you know, all of my life, actually, your dad is the one that appointed me to the licensing board for the state of Utah, which was cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And years and years and years ago, um, when I was a lot younger, I was on Mike Levitt task force for teaching healthy sexuality um, to parents around the state so that they could teach their children about sexuality in appropriate ways. And so awesome. all of my life, I've been involved with this. Um, I think I was born <laughs> with a gift to want to learn more about sex. And um, some people think maybe I'm a little weird, but I really think it's such an important thing. And when you consider that in you know, just a few moments, the act of sexuality can create a whole new life. And then you take that a step farther, thinking that life has been atoned for by our Savior. It's just, to me, that's always blown my mind. And I and I love studying and pondering and creating things to help others, not only gain a reverence for the capacity that they have, but an appreciation and um, a good attitude, not feeling afraid to feel sexual feelings. And I really believe as parents, we have to be able to help our children and our grandchildren understand that feeling arousal and understanding physiologically what happens when you feel arousal and that those are all good things. And um, that's a way we're created. And so I, that's, I'm just always been about this. <laughs> I've always, I always have. That is amazing. And I completely agree with you that it is a gift and not only a gift for you to be able to teach it in a way that helps others appreciate what a gift it is too. And I've actually never thought about it that way that as soon as a life is created, that life has been atoned for. That is powerful. It is powerful. And it ties it in spiritually, like you said, with goodness, because there is so there, of course, Satan wants to take something that is the most beautiful, amazing, incredible thing and, and twist it and make it evil and bad and wrong and twisted and, and, and all the worst ways. Um, but it really is the thing that ties us all together. Like it's mm -hmm. so incredibly important. I have four boys and, um, at age eight ish, we begin the talk with them and, and, my first boy, I remember being so nervous, like, is this going to be weird because we're talking about sex with our son? And mm -hmm. I, I felt so uncomfortable. But once we we got in the room and we said a prayer, it was amazing how much of a spiritual experience it was. It, was, it wasn't awkward. It wasn't uncomfortable. The way my husband, he kind of took the lead on it and described it was was beautiful. And it made me fall in love with him all over again. And it was like, wait a minute, this isn't, this doesn't have to be this, oh, I'm so uncomfortable talking about this with Absolutely. my kids. So how can parents, if they haven't had the talk yet, or maybe they didn't, and it was a little awkward or, or it went awry or something, how can parents get over that initial ugh, cringeworthy, I don't want to say this or address this with my children? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think, first of all, I have to say congratulations, you and your husband together teaching your son. That's 
very rare, few research shows that fewer than 1% of children understand about sexuality from both parents. Oh my and goodness. So, and that's the very best way that a child can learn is when both of their parents are there helping them understand the dynamics and the gender differences. And it's, so what you did is so perfect. So good oh, job. Thank you. Um, how can you help? This is, I, I mean, I teach hours and hours and hours about this. And yes. so where to start? I think the most important thing is for people to come to respect and um, understand and accept the fact that we are sexual beings. We're created in the image of our heavenly parents and in the function of our heavenly parents. Um, and and with that capacity, we have opportunities to um, learn to morally develop. Um, we have with that the ability to make choices. We all have choices and we're accountable for those choices. But to understand that my body is my body, I can choose what to do it. But to have guidelines and um a safe place for them to come in and land and process some of this in order for parents to do that. They have to kind of believe all of that. And this on Valentine's day, that's my whole topic at a fireside for the turtle house that I'm going to be talking about accepting as parents, accepting our sexual theology. I can't wait for that. What time is that on Valentine's? I think it's hmm, season Evening I, time. Okay. It's in the evening. It's on the Turtle House devotional that they do. Perfect. So people can go to the our Turtle House YouTube link or Facebook and click on that. And it's a Valentine's fireside. Is it for couples specifically, like to watch yes, together? I think families. 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 Mm -hmm. So um any age group, any any age child, or would you say eight and up or ten and up? Well, I don't think anything that I'm saying would be explicit enough that it would be awkward. Okay. So I would say eight and up is fine. Okay, perfect. That will be an amazing resource for those that want to learn more about that. And especially, so as, as women, I, I, like I said, I, I've, I've had four boys and with each pregnancy and recovery, there's a dip in, in sexuality. Like, mm -hmm. oh, now my body's the baby's like the baby needs my boobs. The baby needs the, you know what I mean? Like my body went from, oh, my husband and I together and he enjoyed to, nope, this is now for my child. So I had a really hard time switching my mindset from I am a sexual woman to, oh, no, now I'm a life giver for my child. And it was hard to switch back and forth from mm -hmm. being done nursing my baby, putting them to sleep, and then my husband being like, okay, you know, my turn. I've been neglected all day. And I'm like, I don't know how to mentally make the switch to be like, now this can be used for a sexual purpose when before it is not used for that. So mm -hmm. what do you tell women that, that struggle with that of their body is a multi-purpose thing? And how do you switch that mindset from, I can use this to be aroused and, and to be sexual for, and then go back to, oh, now I'm nursing and now I'm taking care of the baby. Now I'm holding my baby how can you switch back and forth? Because for me, it was really hard to do. Yeah. That's a, that's a question I get frequently. And I think the, the principle is that sexual touch should be pleasurable. 
um, when you're taking care of feeding your child, nursing your child, or being touched all day by your children with young children at home, it can that type of touch can um, be exhausting in time. The touch that you have in your sexual relationship with your husband should be replenishing. And so reframing the whole idea that, okay, I'm this now for this person, I'm this now for this person, and I'm kind of just being used in all of it. Yes. I I think recognizing you're making a choice to nurse your baby, and that's a wonderful gift and opportunity that you have, but you can also make a choice to be a sexual um, to be replenished through sexual touch with your husband. And that touch has to be replenishing or it becomes more dutiful than fun. And, right. and in order to do that, I think it, you need to create the space and the time. There's going to be times when you're not feeling it and that's okay. That's normal. As long as you talk together about when, when will we be able to get together again? Are there times of days that might be better for you now that you're taking care of the baby all night? Uh, having those really important conversations where you maturely show up and say, I want to be sexual with you. Right now, it's a little hard for me to turn on those sex ideas. But if if I know that the touch I'm receiving from you isn't going to be demanding, that it's going to be replenishing and it's going to fill me with joy, I'm all in. I'm all in. And then let them know, let him know what that looks like for you. That is a beautiful way to put it, replenishing, because I think so often women think of sex, unfortunately, as depleting, mm -hmm. of, of giving, giving, giving. And whether that's, you know, because sometimes it's easier to say, well, we'll just do you, you know, let's just, we'll just do right. you. Right. It's harder to, to focus on me. I take longer. It's, it's so let's just do you. And because of that, you do go from feeling like, oh, we're together in one to being like, I'm just doing everything for everyone. Yeah. All, all my men need me all the time. And right. I'm not. so I love that thought of replenishing and, and being replenished by sex and that it can be a rejuvenating. And it's so funny because every time that happens, I'm always like, I can think clearly. I'm calm. Yes. I'm happy. And my husband's yeah. always like, I told you, <laughs> I know what you need. And he's been so sweet and understanding. Like, you need to trust me. Like, I know what you need. Even if I feel like I don't want that, I'm not in the mood. Mm -hmm. And he just says, let me just get you there. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care. Then every time without fail, I'm, I'm never regret it. I'm always right. like, oh, I'm right. so glad. But it is, it's that mental block of, mm -hmm. I have to turn off my brain because I, it's so hard for me to do that. So let me just talk to that for a second. Is that all right, Carmen? Yes, please. One, one thing that is very interesting is that um, the first sexologist, Masters and Johnson's, I'm sure Master and Johnson, you've all heard of that, were the first people who studied about sexual response. And all of the people they worked with were men. That's all of the research from the 50s, 60s, 70s were done only on men. Oh, that's interesting. And so the sexual response cycles for men are they have desire, then they get aroused, and then they're able to orgasm and it's over. Women, only in the last 20 years have we started really studying female brains and the sexual response cycle. And typically women have to be aroused before they want to have sex. Yes. So arousal comes before desire. And, and it's so flipped with men. It's totally flipped, the opposite. 
And so if, if you understand that you, first of all, you recognize you're not the problem in your sexual relationship, which a lot of women feel like they're the problem Yeah. Um, that way, but that this is going to take time. Your husband knows this is just how we work different within our brains. Um, maybe it's going to take me 15, 20 minutes to get to that desire, but yeah, I'm going to choose to become uh, to be with you, knowing that I'm going to want this if I continue to choose just to be with you for a little while. Typically, what you're describing is typically what happens. That's so interesting. And I've often thought, why why did Heavenly Father make us that way? Why did he make us completely opposite? Is it to have patience and compassion towards each other? Maybe if we were both the same way, it would be over and done with so fast all the time. And the point is to bond and come together Mm -hmm. or have our husbands truly nurture and take care of us. I've often thought like, oh, it's so interesting that we are so different when it comes to that with the desire and want and arousal and how long it takes for each one. You know, my husband can think about something and he's like, okay. And I'm like, wait, it takes me. I have to like (laughs) prepare. (laughs) um, That is, that's super interesting. So what would you say to, first of all, okay, two questions. What would you say to women that want to be sexual, but maybe are self-conscious with how they look physically? And, and you know, if they feel like I wanted to shower before, I, my hair is not done. And mm-hmm. feeling sexual, like if they, if I feel beautiful, I'm so much more in the mood than if I feel gross, you know, mm-hmm. or if I'm like, my, I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way my stomach looks. I don't want to do this. And, and even if my husband is not thinking that way at all, if I feel that way, I can't do it. So what would you say to women to, to get those feelings and to overcome their self-consciousness? And then what would you say to, to men to help mm-hmm. their women feel that way? Mm-hmm. Those are really great questions. And on my website, actually, just last month, I wrote a whole um, article um, on the blog talking about um, body image, marriage, and sex. Awesome. And, um, so that might be a resource for people to read. And tell us your website again. TammyHill.com. Okay. And so um, first for the, the women, um, we have swum. If that's a word. We've swimmed. We I never know why. why swam. We swam. <laughs> we lived in this context that our job is to be desirable. Yes. And so we do all we can to be desirable. And when we don't feel desirable, we feel like this important part of our, our ourselves isn't going to be able to come forward at the time that you want to express it. And so my suggestion is to do the things you know that are replenished, not, and I use replenish before, other than sexual sexuality that are replenishing for you. Make sure you're taking care to get the, the rest that you need, that you're nourishing your body in good ways, that you get sunshine every day, that your heart rate gets high. New research on the brain is fascinating with cardiovascular exercise for 12 minutes with your heart rate between the 80 to 90% zone is showing to proving to be better for depression, better for everything. Just that one thing for 12 minutes. For 12 minutes. 
that's amazing. It is amazing because we think we've got to go to the gym for an hour and a half if it's going to yeah. count. And yeah. honestly, there's some days I just have to swim as fast as I can for 12 minutes and that's all I have time for. So or... like sprinting, like something as hard as you can. Okay, 80 to 90 so you're getting You're getting your heart rate up high. And I know with my own clients that I work with that when women start doing this regularly five or six days a week, their desire to be sexual increases. So amazing. Drastically. Yeah. So by doing things that you know are going to nurture you, you're going to also be feeling more confident and just more energized to be able to share yourself sexually as well. What men can do is only have eyes for your wife. Only have eyes for your wife. When you're in a covenant marriage, it's a sexual contract. You are saying all of my sexual energy all of my affection, anything that's flirt for flirtatious is all yes. going to be directed towards you forever. And, um, and that if a woman knows that her husband's eyes are only for her, that really helps her confidence in wanting to share herself this way. That is amazing advice. And it, it's true. If, if I feel like I am the most desirable beautiful, amazing person to my husband, it makes giving that part of myself to him so much easier. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if women can feel like you think I'm a goddess, you know, (laughs) then it's like, okay, then I can, I can do that. So, um, And, and studies also show that the male brain, the testosterone in the male brain has been, um, I like to call it marinating for years and basically since age two and men like curves. What you might think, what we think often as women is that we have to be that rail thin, yes, um, plastic surgery boobed woman that yes. everybody's lusting over. And yes. actually that's not what men generally really like curves. They like breasts. They like hips. They like curves. That's part of what the testosterone in their brain has been telling them really since age two. I'm so glad you brought that up because I, especially over the last year or so, um, have definitely struggled with that. Um, not losing that last 10 pounds after my fourth boy and feeling like, oh, I'm bigger. And of course my husband like, you're perfect, you know, and, and, and as all good husbands say, you're right. perfect the way you are. But he's, but, but he said, you have to believe me. I, I love your softness. And for me, I, I see that as, oh, my soft mm-hmm. stomach and my soft arm, my soft. He's like, but I love that. And I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I do think it's so important to take care of ourselves and to be healthy and not saying that women can't be strong, but to kill ourselves, to try and look a certain way or keep up with how everyone else is looking um, is so damaging. It, it's damaging for us. It's damaging for our relationship because I think sometimes women withhold that thinking, well, I will give that to you when I am ready, right. when I right. look a certain way. And and really mm-hmm. you're saying, no, that's not the case. They want you as you are now. Right. And, and to, for women to stop using particularly the breasts, our female breasts is the most sexualized object in our country ever. So when when men and women see cleavage, we've been trained that that's a sexual thought, that that's a sexual impulse, that's something sexual. Yep. And so oftentimes 
this is a little off side note, but so frequently young girls, parents will bring them in. Their daughters are struggling, thinking that they're feeling sexual um, feelings towards the same sex. And when we talk about it, it's mostly because of their seeing breasts that it causes a sexual response. That's Interesting. normal. Men and women, we both in the United States, in the Western world, have been trained to look at female breasts as a sexual symbol. So we all respond to it. We all respond to it. That is so interesting. So when, when, and we've learned that with our breasts in particular, um, we should be doing all we can to fulfill our husband's needs. And we use our body in a lot of of ways to be sexual, to fulfill their needs rather than taking pleasure in the touch that we can receive. Yes. So we need to come to bed mindful that, you know, I'm a wholehearted woman. I want to both give and receive pleasure. It's not about me showing up and looking a certain way to please him. It's about us sharing together touch that feels replenishing and exciting and renewing. So what would you say to women that are thinking about maybe plastic surgery and, and, you know, and, and I don't, I don't want to offend anyone that has, or, 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 or that's thinking about it that hasn't, but what would you say to them that are like, I feel like I need to do this to fit that ideal of what our society says is a sexual woman who maybe is smaller chested or whose anatomy has totally changed from having children. And I mean, they were working girls for, you know, a long time and they, they change and they look different. What, what would you say to that girl that's thinking about that, thinking that that's what she needs? I think that's a great question. And just to put a perspective on this, over the course of the last seven years, the number one gift given to girls graduating from high school has been breast augmentation surgery. From high school? No way. Yes. This is the number one gift that parents give to their daughters as they graduate from high school in the United States. That's alarming, alarming to me. So, so I think it, I think I have no problems with cosmetic surgery. I really don't. If you feel like this is going to help you be more confident, be able to serve God and your family and humanity better, I think go for it. No problems with that. I also think if you think what you're doing is, is going to make you more pleasing or desirable by the person, the man that you're with, um, rethink it rethink it because really the the heart and the soul of a person is what where we really get attracted who you are is what is attractive the fact that you said just a few minutes ago about um, when you and your husband sat together and talked to your son about sex and you observed him doing that and you fell in love with him all over again that's what we fall in love with is someone's qualities, who they are, rather yeah. than the way that they look. And so I would really just try to focus. Um, I have a podcast called Live Your Why, and I really do everything I can to help people come back to your truth. What is it that you're living for? What is it that you really believe is right for you? And um center yourself there. And if the decision for you to have cosmetic surgery is thinking that you're going to create a body that's going to, someone's going to fall madly in love with you because you have big breasts. um, I'm sorry, 
maybe you should work on some therapy or do something creative, do something that's going to be substantial rather than just the way you look. And, and not do it just for that sole purpose, like right. you said, of trying to make someone right. fall in love with you or fall in love with you again. So, so on that note, um, my husband and I have been married for 15 years now. And, um, for couples that have been married for a long time, we, we absolutely change husbands and wives, husbands lose hair and, you know, gain weight too. women, our bodies change and we get softer and we get wrinkles and things like that. So what would you say to a couple that maybe is looking at each other and thinking, oh, you look different from the person I've married and, and maybe, maybe don't feel those feelings of, of attraction to that person anymore because of how they've changed. Like what can they do to, to focus, like you said, on the heart and soul of their partner and not let worldly views of, oh, but if you do this, then you'll be desirable again. If you change, if you change yourself and keep chasing that youthful sexual being that inevitably, I mean, you can't be that way forever. How can you accept the changes in your bodies and, and truly fall in love and be attracted to your spouse emotionally? Yeah. Well, um, I know that goes right back to your why. What is it you're living for? Um, what is it? What is it the two of you are choosing to live for? What's your truth in your marriage relationship? Um, there's so many ways that I could answer this question. Um, go to the truth. Is really, honestly, other than sexual orientation, attraction is agentive. That means you get to choose what you're attracted to. You can retrain your brain to look at qualities in your spouse who's older or heavier or balder or whatever, and and train your brain to look for the things that you do find attractive. Attraction is a choice. And also, not only do we physically change, we can't. I teach so so many young students at BYU who are just dating and moving into marriage, and they kind of have an idea that this is going to be how they're going to be forever, right? Yeah. Uh, and no, bodies change. But yes. not only do bodies change, but sometimes our mental health shifts. Sometimes we have uh, infertility issues. Maybe we go through a broken back or, uh, you know, all the things that yeah. can change. There's so many things that can change in your yeah. relationship with time. And so we really have to look at the heart. We have to choose to look at qualities that you love about things about that person that they do that you find so attractive. Let them know that you find that attractive. Let your husband know that you were totally turned on by him taking the time with you to teach your son about sex. There's, I think men, I often tell, um, I have a support group that I run once a year for men that are usually between the ages of like 25 and 35 who haven't married yet and they're just feeling so stuck. And I tell them, you know, what's sexy for guys is really different for what's sexy for women. What's sexy for women is the guy that stays after church and helps put up the chairs. Totally. Right? What's sexy to a woman is a man that is playing with children. Absolutely. Who's changing diapers, who's pitching in and cooking. Those are really the things that are attractive for women. Yes, it's it's 100% true. And, and when I come home and the house is clean and 
he's playing with the kids downstairs. There's like, oh, there's nothing that turns me on yeah. more than you're being a good dad and you took care of me and mm-hmm. and and you're you're caring about us. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up talking to people who are single. What what advice would you give girls and and boys that are single or maybe recently divorced and and haven't been able to experience sex yet and that are frustrated by that and want to and have a desire to like what advice would you give them that that are that haven't been able to find that one person for them right you know if we look at historically this generation is the first generation to be as old as they are when they first they marry for the first time um last generation even people were marrying in their uh, between 20 and 25. Now people are marrying between the ages of 28 and 31. Wow. So we have this generational shift where we're getting married later and we have a culture that has just damped all kinds of sexual um, sexuality in the, that's yeah. become so normal and normalized. And we have this space and time where people are marrying later and they're having being bombarded with sexual messages. How hard would that be? Yes, it is. We have to be compassionate. We have to be compassionate with this because they're doing something that most of us who are older have, we never had that. Yeah. Never had this. And so it's kind of a new thing to be compassionate with. I really think it's important to go um, middle of the road. I hope that will make sense in a minute because uh, a lot of times we're either so extreme that, oh, that we're afraid of sex, we're ashamed of sexual feelings, we we got to hold on by the our the skin of our teeth to even be able to stay chaste, and yeah. real fear kind of idea, or we get the message on this other side that yeah, just have pleasure, you know, hedonistic. It's all about me. We only live once, you know, all those. Yeah. We've got to come here in the middle ground and say, no, it's not healthy to be afraid of sex, nor is it healthy or wise to not be sexually conservative. Um, Coming here and and accepting and embracing the fact that you have sexual feelings, that you have a body that is sexual, that you have also covenanted to share that piece of you in a marriage relationship and you're not married yet, or maybe your husband's or spouse, wife has died, or maybe you're divorced. And now you're back in that realm where you're alone. I say, be compassionate with yourself, be compassionate with yourself in the circumstances and be wise because you long for that connection so much. We're innately wired to want to connect sexually and romantically with a partner. That's part, I believe, of our divine DNA. Um, So when we get into relationships and they move physically very fast, it can feel very confusing when that relationship isn't sustainable. Right. And so be compassionate with that. I would encourage you to be wise and not share a lot of physical um, interaction until there is an emotional safety and knowledge that you have within the relationship, especially I found, well, and from my own life experience, when my husband passed away, I didn't remarry for five years. And, and in that five years, I, that I missed that touch. I missed him in many ways. I missed that intimate part of my life. And it was, it was hard. It was a very hard, I have such a, I'm sorry, I get emotional when I talk about this. 
I have such compassion for the single people in the church. It's hard. It's hard doing it alone. It's hard being a parent alone. It's hard living alone without the promise of a future with someone. But it's, I know that as you continue to live your covenants, in time you'll be blessed. I'm so grateful for you for sharing that because you have the experience and empathy to be able to connect with people that are single and that are experiencing that. And I think that's why people trust you and and love you is that it's not just, well, here's something you can do. You've actually experienced it and know what it's like. And I'm, and I'm so grateful for you for sharing that today. And, and I love that you talk about keeping your covenants and, and waiting on the Lord. I, I feel like heavenly father won't let us down. And, and when all else fails, we can turn to him and our savior to help us through that hard time of, of being single or divorced or whatever trial that we have or or feeling like, how do I tame my sexuality? I mm-hmm. want to do that. And and, mm-hmm. and it's a struggle to 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 hold back and to bridle my passions mm-hmm. that um that the savior can help us through both of those things. Absolutely. I know that's true. What you're saying is true. So you have a great book coming out, a great resource for parents. It's called God Made Girls and Boys. Mm-hmm. Or is it Boys and Girls? Girls and Boys. Girls and Boys. God Made Girls and Boys. And tell us a little bit about what the book talks about and when it will be available and why you felt compelled to write it. Oh, wow. That's a lot of information there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so probably the last five years, I have been working on an adult book. Um, that I actually have titled Replenish, and it's for adults and their sexual lives. Um, it includes Eastern and Western sexuality um, attitudes, and I, I've been working intently on that. And I was in Switzerland a few years ago and a few summers ago and woke up in the middle of the night and had just the most powerful experience that I needed to write something right now to help parents guide their children in understanding gender and understanding chastity in a healthy way and attaching to the law of chastity, the laws of agency and accountability. And so I just got up and I wrote and wrote for hours. And I've divided that book actually into three books now. Um, And the first of that of the series is coming out and it's for the youngest children. And it's a soft, beautiful introduction about the plan of salvation, about our heavenly parents presenting this plan to us and how they can navigate all of the things that are here regarding family and just gender, all of that. And I love it. It's so, the illustrations are so beautiful. Um, The second one is in the process of being illustrated. It is your body and the plan of happiness. And that's going to be for children who are a little older. And then the third is, I think, mostly for uh, parents and adults to help them understand healthier ways to have sexual conversations with their children. So these are all in the works. And um, as soon as I get these projects done, I'm planning to finish Replenish and um, hope to have that out. Oh, I can't wait for those. And I'm so grateful for people like you, Tammy, that are... um, brave enough and, and that you've accepted, like you said, this gift that you have to talk about sex 
in a beautiful, wonderful, normal way that it doesn't have to be uncomfortable. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be, you know, like I said, cringeworthy, but it's to embrace this beautiful gift that, that is like mm-hmm. you said, from our heavenly father and it's and our needful and our heavenly mother. And, and it's, it's, we need this and we need more people like you that are willing to talk about it and, um, and, and help the rising generation have a very healthy sexual attitude mm-hmm. with, with themselves, with gender, with sex, um, with the opposite gender. I just think it's, it's so great what you're doing. I can't wait for that book to come out. And I'm so grateful for you for taking the time today to talk with me. I have a million other questions. Will you come and do another podcast? Oh my heck, it would be a blast. I love talking about this anytime. It's what I do all day. (laughs) I I want to have you on again. I have like a million more questions for you. So we'll do a part two. And then in the meantime, be looking for that book, God Made Girls and Boys on Valentine's Day. So coming up, you have your, the awesome, some fireside that you're doing for our turtle house. And then people can go to your website, tammyhill.com to read about the blog post that you talked about many more resources on how to talk to your child about sex and have a healthy relationship with your body and all sorts of things. Um, and, and any, any other resources that you would suggest well, for parents? My Instagram, my Instagram account Instagram, is, okay. is, I just go with a topic each week and run with it this week. It's all about kissing and um, so just it's Tammy underscore Hill underscore LMFT. And it's super fun. I just awesome. love it. Oh, good. Okay. So follow Tammy on Instagram for more amazing advice. Um, thank you, Tammy. And thank, thank you, you for all the good that you are doing. I appreciate it, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.